0: take your copy of God's word let's turn together to John chapter 8 John chapter 8 our text this morning begins in verse 12 and extends to verse 29 I'll actually read to verse 30 but we'll pick up verse 30 next time you'll see next time how it fits together with the next text I mentioned last time when we looked at uh, chapter 7 verse 53 to verse 18 you see it there in your ESV bibles those verses are in brackets Um, uh, it could be that that fragment belongs there Um, elsewhere in early manuscripts of John's gospel it shows up in chapter earlier in chapter 7 shows up in chapter 21 Um, if you don't have it there um, then verse chapter 8 verse 12 makes some sense right because verse 12, as we're going to see, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. Well, in the previous section, the Pharisees left. So it raises the question of how did the Pharisees leave and Jesus is speaking. But if that section's not there, it's really a continuation of the speech that Jesus had begun on the last day of the feast in chapter 7, verse 37. So this is still the eighth day of the festival, the festival of the tabernacles. Jesus is still speaking to the crowds. And he says, I am the light of the world, which is the second of the so-called I am statements. Um, The first I am uh, in John's Gospels in chapter six, I'm the bread of life. This one's the second. And we'll see how it is uh, that Jesus' declaration that he is the light of the world works, not only in this section of the Bible, but for us as those who dwell in darkness, but have seen a great light. In order to hear the word of God this morning, we need his help. So let's let's ask for it. Would you pray with me, please? Almighty God, we do come to you as your people this morning, and we desire to hear the word of the Lord. But in order for that to happen, Holy Spirit, you must come, and you must illuminate our hearts and minds so that we might see riches in this portion of your gospel. So come, Holy Spirit, do your work, we ask penetrate our hearts, shine in our darkness, so that we might see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Grant us this, Lord, we ask, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So John chapter 8, beginning in verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness Will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I come from and where I'm going. But you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one, but even if I do judge, My judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me... He said to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge. But he who sent me is true, and I declared to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So in our present moment where nobody seems to agree on much of anything, it seems anymore, I'm sure you've had this experience. You are engaged in a conversation with someone, and it could be about anything. It could be about sports. It could be about the economy. It could be about politics. Goodness, it could be about proper dog grooming habits. It could be anything. And as you're talking, the other person doesn't appear to understand you, or at least want to understand you, they keep countering with questions, some of which uh, at least seemingly advance the conversation, others of which uh, are more like gotcha questions, trying to trap you and trying to turn the tables on you. And, and so as you're trying to answer the other person's questions, it comes clear to you they don't want answers, or at least your answers. And they don't really want enlightenment, or at least your enlightenment. They simply want to argue, and in arguing, they seem to want to stay in the dark. There's a great picture of this determination to stay in the dark in C.S. Lewis's book, *The Last Battle*. You, you might remember that uh, as the children come into the new Narnia, that they enter out of darkness, represented by the the the, sh- the shed, the 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 shack, uh, the that they are going into. They come out of that darkness into this light of the new Narnia, but the children aren't the only ones who make it into the new Narnia. No, the dwarfs do as well, and as they sit there all huddled together, they are convinced that they are still in the darkness, and and in fact, they don't want to come into the light. They want to stay in the darkness. It doesn't really matter what tasks the children propose or, or what they try to offer them, what they try to do for them. The dwarves, uh, they, they want to stay in the darkness. They refuse to come into the light. Finally, Aslan shows up. And when he does, he explains to Lucy and the others what, what's going on here. Aslan says, you see, they will not let us help them. They have chose cunning instead of belief. Their prison is only in their minds, and yet they are in that prison and so afraid of being taken in that they cannot be taken out. In other words, they are imprisoned in their darkness and they refuse to come into the light. Friend, something exactly like that is going on in this place in the Bible this morning. In their confrontation with Jesus. The Pharisees are asking all sorts of questions, but it doesn't seem like they really want to hear the answers. Some of their questions advance the conversation. Others are really more gotcha questions, trying to needle or even mock Jesus. But as as the conversation advances, we see they're determined to stay in the darkness. They're chained in the prisons of their own minds. They're, they're fearful of being taken in by Jesus, or even more. They're fearful... Of submitting to him. And so they refuse to do so. Perhaps you've known people just like that. Goodness, perhaps you are a person just like that. Fearful of coming out of the darkness. Fearful of coming out of your sorrow, darkness, and night. Fearful of Of coming to Jesus because you you're fearful that it means the loss of your autonomy or the loss of your identity or or the loss of the control of your life but Jesus is telling us here actually it's the exact opposite when we come to Jesus as the light of the world that's when we find life real life true life God's abundant life because Jesus is the one who is lifted up on the cross for sinners like us. And because he was lifted up, he he sets us free. Sets us free from the darkness, the prison of our hearts. Sets us free so that we're able to walk in real freedom and love. You see, Jesus is telling us here that he is the light of the world. And because he is, he's able to rescue us from our darkness. Unlike the commentators I read this week, I really do believe That chapter 8, verse 12, is the controlling idea for this entire section. When Jesus tells us there in verse 12, you see it in your Bibles, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He's not simply giving us a theological axiom or or proposition. And he's not giving us some kind of cool way to organize John's gospel around these seven I am statements. No, he's actually telling us something very important about the Pharisees, and ultimately something important about what he's come to do for all those who are like the Pharisees. What does he tell us about the Pharisees? Namely, the Pharisees are walking in the darkness, and they are in danger of dying in their sins, and so knowing eternal destruction you see the darkness of the pharisees hearts in the, in the four questions that they ask jesus questions that don't necessarily advance the conversation questions that actually have an element of of gotcha to them the first question really isn't a question at all i, I framed it as a question but it's more of a a challenge or a theological dismissal i've phrased it as jesus are you telling the truth but but look at what they say in verse 13. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. This point about bearing witness and testimony, we've seen this before in John's gospel. It takes us back to John chapter 5 verses 19 to 30. You remember there Jesus said, had offered a series of witnesses on his behalf. This point comes back here, and and the Pharisees are drawing on the Old Testament law, and and especially Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15, and Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 6, both of which require at least two witnesses for a capital crime, one that's worthy of death. Here, the issue isn't so much uh, whether Jesus has done something worthy of death. It's Uh, the two witnesses isn't about his guilt or innocence, but rather it's about truthfulness. Is Jesus, in fact, a trustworthy witness? Or as I have it, Jesus, are you telling the truth? Because after all, by this point in the gospel, Jesus has claimed extraordinary things. Jesus has claimed to be equal with God. He's he's claimed to be doing the, the Father's works and speaking the Father's words. Jesus has claimed to have all judgment and to be able to raise the dead. He has said that he gives his flesh for the life of the world and he gives the Holy Spirit as living water that springs up to eternal life. And the question that the Pharisees are asking is the same question we should be asking. Is he telling the truth? And especially telling the truth about who he is and his relationship with the father which leads to the second question that the pharisees asks ask it's in verse 19 you see it there he says where is your father now if you look at your esv bible there you'll see that father is capitalized and it, and it could be that the pharisees are here asking jesus to demonstrate where god the father is i don't think that's what they're saying I don't think this is actually a capitalized father. I think this is a lowercase father. I think the Pharisees are, are willfully refusing to believe Jesus claims that God is, in fact, his father. After all, they know his father. They know where he's from. They know all the rest about him. This isn't a sincere question. This is a gotcha question. This is, this is a needle. It's, if, if it's not specifically raising questions about Jesus's paternity, which will actually come up in the next section in John chapters 8, uh, it's, it is certainly asking Jesus to go get Joseph, who at this point is likely dead, in order to prove his point. They're not asking here, where is God the Father? They know where he is. He's in heaven. They're saying to Jesus, where's your father, your so-called father? Can you get him? Go get Joseph to prove your claims that you are who you say you are. It's a gotcha question. But if it's a gotcha question, the next question that they ask, it, it demonstrates their darkness even further. Uh, the first question might be sincere. Are you telling the truth? The second is is definitely a needle. The third is, is actually profoundly cynical. The Pharisees ask, will Jesus kill himself? And it's in response to Jesus saying... I'm going away, and where I'm going, you cannot come. You see it in verse 22. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. In the previous chapter, in John 7, Jesus had said the same thing. Where I'm going, you cannot come. There, the Jews said, well, where is he going? Is he going out to the Gentiles outside of Israel in order to preach and teach to them? Here, it's even worse, at least from a Jew's perspective, that Jesus is going to try to kill himself. Maybe he's going to commit suicide. Actually, this comment, this question, it's it's actually endlessly ironic. Because, of course, Jesus isn't trying to kill himself. It's the Pharisees who are trying to kill Jesus. Ever since John chapter 5, they've been trying to kill Jesus. And so the Pharisees, in asking the question, are actually indicating something about themselves more about more than about Jesus. But there, of course, is a sense in which Jesus will lay down his life. That'll come up in John chapter 10. Jesus says, no man takes my life from me, but I lay it down willingly. Why? For my sheep. And so the Pharisees are saying here, more than they perhaps know, both about their own hearts, but also about what Jesus has come back, to, come to this place to do. But all of these questions ultimately devolve down to the main question, the real question, the, the question that we all have to ask, namely, who are you? That's what the Pharisees ask in verse 25. Um, so they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning these men are wandering around in the dark. They're wandering around in the prisons of their own minds. They're they're unwilling to come to the light. Unwilling to believe that Jesus is exactly who he is telling them he is. And so they keep asking Jesus over and again, who are you? Who are you? And Jesus keeps coming back with, I'm just who I'm telling you I am. I keep answering that question. And they keep asking, who are you? But friends, it's the same for us. In the end, all of our questions about life in this world, who we are, our lives in this world, our callings, our vocations, what the point of it all is, when you boil them all down, it really does come back to the question about Jesus. Who are you? Jesus, who are you? Because if Jesus is who he says he is, then we can't be neutral about him. We have to do something with him, one way or the other, Either trust in him and give ourselves to him or reject him, but we can't stay in the dark. The question, Who are you, Jesus, is the right question to ask. And in response to the question, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. That's what he said in verse 12, as we've seen. But in Jesus saying, I am the light of the world, he, he's saying more than perhaps we know. He's reaching back to the Old Testament and saying that the one whom the Old Testament promised as the light—that's who I am—and saying I am the light of the world. Jesus is saying I am the servant whom Isaiah prophesied. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. Jesus is saying I am the one of whom God said. It's too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations. Jesus is saying, I am the one of whom Malachi spoke, the son of righteousness who rises with healing in his wings. You see, when Jesus said, I am the light of the world, he's saying, I am the one of whom the prophets have spoken, the one who already has this testimony concerning him. You see, because Jesus is the light of the world, he can say, my testimony is true. Of course, that's what he says in verses 14, 18. Jesus is saying that as the light of the world, he's telling the truth about himself because he he came from God's presence. He came from heaven and he's returning from heaven. He has the words of God. He speaks the words of God. And he's going back to heaven to reestablish his authority over the world. He only does what the father commands him to do. And in doing what the father commands him to do, he's doing it as the son. And so in answer to the Pharisee's question, are you telling the truth? Jesus is saying, yes, yes, I speak the truth because I was sent by the father and he bears witness about me. That's what he says in verses 14 and 18, which, of course, raises the question, the question that the Pharisees ask, who is Jesus' father? And Jesus is the light of the world, says, well, if you knew me, you would know my father, right? That's what he says in verse 19. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also, In other words, Jesus is saying, you'd know my father because you would see that I am from the father. I do what my father commands. I say what my father demands. I do my father's works. I I accomplish my father's will. I speak my father's words. So the reason why you don't know my father is because you don't really know me, Jesus is saying. You don't really believe in me. For those who believe in Jesus, they come to know him as the light of the world as the one who has life in himself, but, but for those who refuse to believe in Jesus, for those who remain in the darkness, who remain in the prison of their own hearts and minds, what does Jesus say? He says you are going to die in your sins. I think it's the most bracing thing in this entire section. Three times Jesus tells the Pharisees this. Once in verse 21, you see it, So he said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. Then twice, in verse 24, I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Far from Jesus killing himself, the Pharisees are actually killing themselves By refusing to believe in Jesus, by clinging to their darkness, by by staying in the prison of their own hearts and minds, they are literally committing eternal suicide. If they would just come to Jesus, the light of the world, then they would know true life, real, abundant, eternal life. But they refuse to do so. And so Jesus warns them, you will die in your sins. But listen, that's true not just of the Pharisees. That's true for you and me as well. Whether we want to see this or not, when we refuse to trust in Jesus, we're actually on a kind of suicide route. We're clinging to death. We're holding on to the darkness. We are consigning ourselves, willfully becoming one of the souls of the damned. We are dying in our sins, and we will die in our sins if we refuse the light of the world, Jesus. Of course, the question comes, how do we come out of our darkness? We sang it this morning. Out of my sorrow, darkness, and night. Jesus, I come into thy glorious freedom and light. Jesus, I come. How do we come? How do we come to Jesus? How do we come to put our trust in him? How How do we know him? How do we have a real, vital relationship with Jesus, the light of the world? Listen, it's not through philosophical apologetics. Right? You can read as much Cornelius Van Til or RC Sproul or Lee Strobel as you want. And certainly there have been a few in this world who have who've have come to faith through philosophical apologetics. But more than likely, that's not going to be your pathway. You're not going to reason your way and have all of your intellectual objections answered before you willingly come out of the darkness into the light. It's not even through reading lots of wonderful theology or reading the Puritans or mining nuggets out of the early church fathers. You're not going to read your way into heaven. You're not going to read your way out of the darkness into the light. As though somehow if we could just figure it out intellectually and master these theological propositions, then, then I'll come out of the darkness. Then I'll come to the light. It's not even in cultural engagement or even political action. It's not by, by serving in the various uh, opportunities that we have in the nonprofit sector, or, or even electing the right people to office. That's not how you're going to come out of the darkness into the light. That's not how you have a real, vital relationship with Jesus. So I ask you again, how do you know? How do you really know Jesus? Because, my friends, that's the real question. And that's the question you must answer today before you walk out those doors. How do you know him? How do you have a real relationship with him so that you come to know him as the light of the world? Well, what did Jesus say? He says it in verse 28. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. How do you know him? Really know him? Have a real vital relationship with Jesus? Jesus says, when I am lifted up, you will know. Lifted up, what does that mean? Well, Jesus has already used this language in John's gospel. In John chapter 3, he had told Nicodemus, as as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And so Jesus uses this imagery, drawn from Numbers chapter 20, when Moses takes a bronze snake and lifts it up on a pole, so that those who have the poison in their veins. It's killing them. Might look at that bronze snake that's lifted up on the pole and live. And Jesus says, so I must be lifted up. I must be lifted up on the pole, on on a Roman cross. I must be crucified. And when the Son of Man is lifted up on the cross, that's when life can change. That's when men and women and boys and girls might be changed. So fast forward to this place. What is Jesus saying? He's saying that you will only truly know who he is And you will only come to trust in him when you see him on the cross as the crucified one. Only as you see him lifted up as the crucified one for you in your place, only then will you come to know him. And only then will you willingly leave your darkness in the prison of your own heart and mind to come into the light. Friends, we must decide never to look for Jesus in any other place than the cross. No other place. The cross is always before the crown. Gogotha is always prior to the throne. Which means even as we look for Jesus to come triumphantly and we can proclaim him as Lord and we long for the day when the kingdoms of this earth shall be the kingdoms of our God and his Christ, he will always be the king who is the crucified one. The lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world. That's the meaning of Revelation when John looks at the one who is the lion of the tribe of Judah and what does he find? The Lamb slain. The Lamb slain. Because we will only come to know Jesus and have a real vital relationship with him when we come to see him as the crucified one who is lifted up for our sin and our sinning and for our guilt and shame, not just in the past, but our present guilt and shame right now. And the wrath and curse that belongs to us and all of our darkness poured out upon him on the cross when we come to see him as the one who is lifted up, what do we find? What do we gain? Life. Yes. But light. Pure, blessed light. So that everything in our lives now comes clear. Everything now makes sense. Our lives, our places in, our, in this world, our identities, our, our, our ethics, everything about it makes sense in the light of the cross. Because from the, the one who is lifted up, light shines there at the cross of jesus christ we've we discover that what jesus said is true i am the light of the world whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but have the light of life so friend are you willing to come out of your darkness today are you willing to finally leave the prison of your darkness not with your words but in your heart. Stop messing around with Jesus as someone you think you can add to your already beautiful life. Are you really willing to come to know him as the crucified one, as the one who took all of your darkness upon himself so that you might be set free to follow him in freedom and love? Will you come? Will you come out of your darkness, sorrow and night? Will you say, Jesus, I come to you today? Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, here in a moment, we're going to sing the light of the world is Jesus. Come to the light. He's waiting for you. Lord, please, may no one leave this place. whether there six or 66, anywhere in between, beyond? May we not leave this place without answering that question, Jesus, who are you and who are you for me? May we say, Jesus, you are the crucified one for me. You took my place. You took my sin You want a real vital relationship with me. I want it with you. Please shine the light of the glory of God in my heart so that I might see you and know you and follow you. Lord, grant us this grace we ask. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please take your hymnals. Let's turn and sing this wonderful PB Bliss.